the strength of conviction for one's faith is celebrated by the church, except when that conviction runs contrary to the status quo, says Jamie Arben Ritchie. Convictions of faith are easily celebrated and held firmly until they run contrary to the status quo of our culture, our political parties, and our pursuit of the American dream. The ninth beatitude, these nine beatitudes in, in Matthew 5, they, they are convi- convictions that, that run contrary to the status quo, contrary to the status quo of our culture, our country, the dreams that we pursue. And each of these beatitudes, they're, they're convictions of the way, and the, and the way is the Jesus way, the, the kingdom way, the way of our Father. And each of these beatitudes are for Jesus' people, people who know him as Savior and Lord, people who, who look and live contrary to the status quo. And there are three ways that Jesus' people should understand and interpret these beatitudes. First, the first way is that these beatitudes are, are about the great reversal of fortune that will happen when Christ returns. Please know that. There's a great reversal of fortune for God's people when Christ comes back. Second, these Beatitudes deal with the, key, the wisdom and, and ethic, ethics and the future of God's kingdom. And thirdly, these nine Beatitudes are about human flourishing in this life. Flourishing in this life, Jesus' way. Last week I preached on the fifth Beatitude. Flourishing are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Today, I'm going to preach on the sixth beatitude, and it says, flourishing are the pure in heart, because they shall see God. Flourishing are the pure in heart, because they shall see God. Please pray with and for me. Father, this is not my peace. Preaching is not my peace. Man's praise is not my peace. You're my peace. And I pray that you will move aside my need for the praise of man, my ego. Move all those things aside so that you, Lord, may be glorified in what takes place here. I can't preach for my own glory and your glory at the same time. Cannot. They cannot exist together. So my prayer, Holy Spirit, is that Jesus will be glorified, that he will be the one that is lifted up, not the preacher. I am just a man in need of the same grace that everyone else here needs, in need of the same Savior that everyone else here needs. So Holy Spirit, move. Glorify Jesus. Make Christ look good in everything that is said and preached from his pulpit today. It is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. I have another question for all my kiddos here. I have a question, kids. What are the five vital organs essential for your survival? You can participate. You may talk out loud. You don't have to raise your hand. Just name them all. Yeah? Yeah? Lungs? Yeah? Heart? Liver? Yes? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs)
So, so lungs, liver, brain, and kidneys, and the heart, these are all the central organs that are needed for your survival. Take the heart, for example. The human heart is the size of a, of a very large fist located at the center of your chest. It pumps about 10,000 times per day. That's a lot of beats. And it pumps about six quarts of blood throughout your body. And that's a lot of blood. Your heart is important to your body. It's important for your survival. And your heart is also important to the Lord God. Did you know that, kiddos? Did you know that? Your heart is important to your survival, but that same heart is also important to God. First Samuel 16, 7 says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man, human beings, look at the things you do on the outside, but God looks at what's on the inside of you. The heart is what is essential to him, is essential to your well-being. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because from it flows the springs of life. Guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because from it flows the springs of life. The heart is essential to your inner life. And one theologian says, the heart is the center of your moral, spiritual, emotional, and intellectual life. Your heart is the center of all those things. It's the seat of your feelings. The seat of your affections, the seat of your thinking, the seat of your will. Your heart is home to your interpersonal life. It is the center. It is the key. And whatever and whoever has your heart has you. Whoever and whatever has your heart has you. Who has your heart, saints? What has your heart? Where is your heart running towards for security and significance? Into whose hands have you placed your heart? And whoever has your heart is also your Savior, is also your God. On March 21st, 2014, Rachel Newell wrote an article for the Smithsonian.com titled, Putting Your Hand Over Your Heart Makes You Both Appear and Behave More Honestly. Now, most of us know that the gesture of putting your hands over your heart is associated with honesty. But does that action influence people? Can me putting my hand over my heart make me more honest? Well, yes, according to the research that the author's article is based on. She says these, the researchers conducted a number of experiments with Polish student volunteers. They asked both male and female students, for example, to look at a set of photos of women and rank them on how attractive they found the women to be. Now, that's the experiment. Not my experiment, their experiment. And the researchers, they, they had the volunteers place their hand over their hearts or place their hand on their hip. And that's an interesting research, interesting study. And, and using their behavior, using behavior like this to determine the level of one's honesty is quite fascinating. And according to the research, the volunteers who placed their hands over their hearts were more honest in their judgment about the unattractive women. And this is what the researcher says. When presented with the opportunity to lie about one's appearance, people who put their hands over their hearts remain more honest, even if it meant being impolite. Let's test that theory. 
Put your hands over your hearts. You too, engineers. It's going to feel weird. It's going to feel uncomfortable. But you too, engineers. And answer yes or no to this question. Will you participate in Sunday equipment classes next fall? <laughs> Did it work? Were you more honest? You can put your hands down now. Putting your hands over your heart, in reality, it doesn't really make you more honest. I don't care what the research says. Honesty flows out of a person's heart. And me putting my hands over my heart doesn't make me honest. Because Christ says what comes out of the mouth flows from the heart. It is the real spring of life. And yet the human heart has problems and complications. Every human being is born with an unregenerate heart. But what in the world does that mean, Pastor Alex? I'll tell you. It's a heart that is restless. A heart that is lost in a state of sin and misery. A heart that is separated from God the Father. A heart that is in rebellion against him, either through unrighteousness or self-righteousness. It's a heart that has not bowed down to Jesus. And the prophet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And Christ says, it, 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 it isn't what comes out of them. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person. From out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. That is an unregenerate heart. And an unregenerate heart has some deep-seated issues. And it's really a confused heart. Because an unregenerate heart can be physically healthy, but spiritually sick. Meaning, you can look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dying. Because God doesn't look at outward appearance. He looks at the heart. Fresh and clean on the outside doesn't mean you're fresh and clean on the inside. Some of you need an order eater on the inside of your heart. And Jesus is that order eater. We need a heart transplant. We need regeneration. And regeneration means you need to be born again. It means the Holy Spirit must circumcise your heart. It needs newness of life. It it needs what David says in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew it within me a new spirit, a right spirit within me. That's what it needs. And Deuteronomy 36 says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. In the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with your whole heart and with your whole soul. Heart circumcision. In Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. That is what is needed. So you can't be pure in heart without regeneration first. You can't be. You can't be pure in heart Jesus' way without first having seven faith in him. You can't be pure in heart Jesus' way in your own strength, in your own power. So again, where is your heart? Is it restless or is it resting in Jesus? Is it spiritually dead or is it spiritually alive in Christ? If you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, then the fifth beatitude doesn't apply to you at all. At all. And to be honest, none of the Beatitudes apply to you at all. 
if you don't have faith in Jesus. Because Jesus ain't, he's not preaching morality in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not preaching morality. He is not. He is preaching this sermon to men and women who already have seven faith in him. Who already have that. It's for people who already know him. So do you know him? Thank you. Do you know him? Not things about him. Do you trust him? Have you surrendered your life to him? Romans 10, 12, Romans 10 verses 9 through 13 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you don't have to go to the Greek to understand what that means. It means that if you don't do it, you won't be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on his name shall be saved. Do you know him? The only people who will call upon the name of the Lord like this are those whose hearts have been changed by the Holy Spirit. First, when he regenerates your heart, then you will call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved from the wrath of God. That's what he's saying. Because you don't understand what Jesus is saving you from something. He's saving you from the wrath of God that is over you. If you don't know have faith in Christ, he's rescuing you from that. Because on the cross, all God's wrath is poured out on him. Amen. Thank you. All poured out on him. And once you do that, once you receive Christ, then the Holy Spirit will set you on the path with other believers. It is a transformative path. It is a sanctifying path, a, a resurrection path, a union with Christ path. It's a, a pure in heart path. Because purity in heart is a work of God's free grace in the lives of his sons and daughters. It's a work that continues throughout your lifetime. Your lifetime. It's a process, saints. Make peace with the process. Make peace with the process. Question. Do Christians have an evil heart before God? Think about it. Do believers, those who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, do they have an evil heart before God? No. You see, because the heart of stone has been replaced with a new regenerate heart, a new heart, a circumcised heart. And this new heart still has issues. It still has struggles. It still has broken places and blind spots and sins. You see, the Christian heart is a both and heart. It is redeemed and sanctified, and yet it is being redeemed and sanctified. It is free from the bondage of sin, but yet it still struggles with sin. Both and. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans 7. So I find this law to be true. When I want to do good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law raging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I've served the law of sin. That's the tension that all believers live in. And when you accept that tension, you have a joyful Christian life. Because it ain't going to stop until you die and go to glory. So you got to embrace it and accept it. The tension won't go away until you die. So when you accept and surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior, your heart will have two main struggles for the rest of your life. So if you're a note taker, this is the time for you to take notes. If you are a Christian, your heart will have two struggles for the rest of your life. Two remaining issues that the Holy Spirit is in the process of redeeming and giving resurrection to. First, there is what I call the factory issue. A factory issue. A factory is a plant that manufactures goods. It produces stuff like cars and clothing and electronics, for those of you who like electronics. The heart is also a factory, and it produces a certain kind of product. And John Calvin says, our hearts are factories that mass produces idols. Our hearts are factories that mass produces idols. What is an idol? It is a God substitute. It's people, places, and things you worship instead of Jesus. It's where you run when you want security and significance apart from Jesus. And all Christians struggle with idolatry. It's worshiping the gifts and not the giver of the gifts. And everything in your life can be an idol. Your parents, your kids, your stuff, your job, your looks, your body, even the shoes on your feet can be an idol. Because we always say idols are the bad things. No, it is the blessings that we make into an idol. And we bow down to the blessings and forget the blessing giver. So what are the idols of your heart? Who or what has the affections of your heart? Now, we struggle with idolatry as Christians, but we don't have to live in it in unrepentance. We repent of it when the Spirit reveals it to you. And that's an honest prayer. Spirit, show me the idols of my heart. You have the courage and the humility to pray that prayer. Because when he shows it to you, then what are you going to do with it? It may require you to set something to the side. So what are your idols? The second issue is what I call the armor issue. An armor is a protective covering that shields the body. And your heart has armor. It's quick to self-protect, to defend itself. And I got this armor idea from author and professor Brene Brown. She is my new favorite author. I'm not starstruck, but if I ever see her, I will be. She says, our armor is the thoughts and emotions and behaviors that we use to protect ourselves when we aren't willing and able to rumble with vulnerability. When we ain't able to do it. Your heart will armor up to protect itself from shame, vulnerability, emotional exposure. When you're uncomfortable, you're going to armor up. I got to tell you, being a part of this type of church will make your heart armor up because it's uncomfortable. What does it look like for my heart to armor up, Pastor? Brene Brown gives us three items that we have in our armory. The first one she calls is perfectionism. Trying to be perfect in order to avoid pain 
and trying to hide the blind spots in your life so you pretend to be perfect. I got it all together. I ain't got no issues. That's armor. And that's lying to yourself. Because ain't nobody perfect but Jesus. The second one is, is numbing, where you try to suppress the feelings of pain and discomfort. Like, where do you go when you need to numb for life? I go to food or Netflix. What do you go to? Comfort eating. Some people make jokes. And behind those jokes is a lot of pain or denial. So what do you do to numb? That's armor. Protecting yourself. And the third one is good. She says, not letting yourself feel joy is an armor. Because joy is a vulnerable emotion. How does your heart armor up? Is it armored up now? So what's, what's, where do we go with these two, these two issues? Again, it's the work of the Spirit. He's in a process of bringing healing to those issues in your life. But you will struggle with them. You don't have to live within them in unrepentance, but you will struggle with the fact they're in the armory. The question is, do you know it? Do you know it and can you see it? Some of us are blind to it. Do you know it? Do you know where your idols are? Do you know what your armor is? And can you give them to the Spirit? Can you give them? The work that the Spirit does in us is what I call purity in heart. Purity in heart. It's a lifetime work. Because pure means clean. Free from, free from contamination. Think about the Spirit as being Mr. Clean. Some of you know who Mr. Clean is. The guy with the bald head, he cleans things. That's the Spirit in your heart. That's what he does. He's doing a deep cleaning. He ain't just wiping off the countertops. He's getting underneath the counter, the baseboards and everything. And so he's working and cleaning out your heart. And that's a lifetime work. That's not a quick fix. That's not a quick, that's not a, a one night thing. You don't just confess Jesus and all of a sudden, I'm clean. You still have remaining issues. And the spirit is doing it. You don't do it. You don't doing it. It's the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And being in Christian ministry doesn't do it. It's the Spirit's work in your life that's cleaning up your heart and cleaning out your heart. Let him do it. Don't fight it. Let him do it. And it will be uncomfortable. But it's God's love and grace in your life. Got to believe that. Prayer in heart also means whole. Wholesome. The Spirit is also in the process or freeing us from double-mindedness, from a double heart. But what does that mean, Alex? It means you're trying to have your foot in and out of the kingdom. One foot in, one foot out. It's all about your loyalties and your allegiance. In American Christianity, we like to tag on to our faith with other stuff, with our politics and our culture. But what the Spirit says, I don't need those things. You don't have to attach anything to to who you are. You don't need those things. The Spirit is freeing us to say, it's okay for me just to be Christian. And another thing that we do, liberal Christian, conservative Christian. If you're just a Christian, you don't need those adjectives in front of your Christianity. But the Spirit is saying, you don't need that. And when you do that, that's you, double-mindedness. That's double-heartedness. Because if you're truly walking in Jesus, you don't need another adjective to explain who you are. Your life explains it. 
Your life will explain it if you truly believe in it and enjoy him. And the Spirit is doing this. He's moving our hearts so that it would be undivided in its devotion to God. That is what he's doing. That's what you can pray for. Because how are you double-minded? Do you know that? How have you aligned your faith with other things? How have you attached it to other things? Do you even see it? I have. My faith is highly aligned to American culture. Because I said this before, I love being a Christian, but I love being a Christian in America more. And I'm just honest with mine. That's the issue for me. Because of the comfort, the easiness. I get to preach to you, I don't have to worry about dying when I leave here. So, can you ask the Holy Spirit to show you your double-mindedness, your double-heartedness? Ask him. And he definitely will show you. He is in the process of shutting down the assembly line of our idols. And he's in the process of smashing our walls of self-protection. And that is a work of God's grace in your life. And it won't, ha- it won't be complete until Christ returns. That's why we have to live a life of faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Another question I have for you. Is purity in heart the reason why believers flourish in life? Is, it the, is, is, is this work of the Spirit the source of why we can flourish as believers? The answer is no. Thank you for whoever said that. Because we flourish. All of our flourishing is based upon God's faithfulness to us. And his faithfulness is not based upon our performance and productivity. But some of us live that way. It's not based upon that. It's based upon who he is. And he does not deny himself. Flourishing are the prayer in heart because they shall see God. If, if believers shall see God, the reverse is also true. He sees us. He sees us as we truly are. And he doesn't turn his face away. Do you believe that? As one song says, he sees the depth of our hearts, and yet he loves us the same. He loves us the same. Some of you need to give yourself grace to struggle, man. Stop beating yourself up. Christ doesn't need your help. He did it all for you. God is not embarrassed by you. Some of you need to hear that. He's not embarrassed by you. We flourish because our God never closes his eyes to us. When he looks at us, he sees sons and daughters, children who struggle with sin, but never outstruggle his grace and mercy. If you can outstruggle his grace and mercy, then he's not much of a God. You can't. Psalm 27.10 says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord would take me in. These are all amen versus statements, people. Psalm 49, 15 says, The Lord, God says, can a mother forget the babe at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. I will not forget you. I will not abandon you. I will be with you. I will forever see you. But do you believe that? Job 24 says, Yet God prolongs the life of the mighty by his power. They raise up when they despair of life. And he gives them security.
for they are supported and his eyes are upon their ways. God sees you, saints. He sees you. He receives you. He accepts you. He supports you. He adopts you. And guess what? He likes you. You know that? That we say, I know God loves me, but he also likes you. He enjoys you for who you are as his son and daughter. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That God likes you. And when you pray to him and spend time with him in his word, he is there waiting on you to come so you can fellowship with your daddy. Quality time with your father. That's what prayer and quiet times are. And kiddos, as you grow up and you become a believer, if you, if you leave this church realizing that when you are praying and when you study in your Bible, that's not work. That is fellowship. That is you communing with your dad. That's your quality time with your dad. It took me years to realize that. Because when I, when I first became a Christian, I considered all that stuff work. But it's not work. It is rest. It is rest. It is rest. So if God sees us, we also see him. Flourish in the prayer and heart, for they shall see God. If you, that, that, that phrase, they shall see God, has, a, has a, a future and a present reality to that promise. And the future reality means all believers will eventually see God face to face when Christ returns. And that is not pie in the sky. That is real. That is real. One song we sung last, last week says, Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose Jesus now. And that treasure is you're going to get to see God. And that's going to happen. And that's going to be awesome. Think about it, kids. The, the, who, what, what athlete or a person you, you admire, seeing God is going to be far greater than that. When you get to see him face to face. And that is going to happen. It's more than pie in the sky. First John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And that is what we, and, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he truly is. That's coming. That is coming. Amen statement. And Revelation 22 says, They, are, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. If you are a believer, those verses are talking about you. That is who you are. The best is yet to come. Now, what about the present reality or this future promise? Think about it like this. When a person says, you don't see me, what has been applied there? Statements like, you don't know me. You don't understand me. You don't get her. That's what they're saying. When you don't see me, you don't understand me. You don't know who I am. You don't see me as a person. So see, the present reality of seeing God means you get to know him and apprehend him in this life without ever physically seeing him. And that is wonderful. Do you realize that only Christians can say they know God personally? That is a privilege that only we have. 
No other people group, no other religion can say, I am in a relationship with Yahweh Elohim, and he calls me son and daughter. No other people can claim that but us. And yet we walk around like orphans, as if we have no daddy. Yet we walk around as if that's not true. It is true. That's who you are. You are provided for, as patients say, you are a kept people. Despite your circumstances, despite what you may experience, you still belong to God. You are his most treasured possession. He sacrificed his own son while you were his enemy. Come on now. Come on now. He sacrificed his own son when you wasn't his son and daughter. When you were his enemy, Christ died for you. Come on, saints. Because Christ didn't die for friends. He died for people on the outside. He made you a friend through his blood. He made you a son and daughter because of his blood on the cross. If he sacrificed his own son, how can he not lead and guide you through what you're dealing with now? Give him some credit. Give him some credit. Some credit. Give him some credit. Come on, saints. Through our faith in Christ, we get to apprehend and know Jesus and God. We get to live in fellowship with him. Always in his presence. Always in his presence. And we have this awareness and this confidence of this because of who we are in Christ. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Nowhere. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Shalom, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead and your right hand shall be on me and hold me. That is you, saint. His sovereign hand is over every inch of your life. Seeing God means you know him. It means you know him. You have a relationship with him. Seeing God means you can apprehend him and understand him. In other words, you can have the right knowledge about God, that he's transcendent, higher than you, but he's also imminent and he's close to you. You see him as father. You see him as redeemer. You see him as holy. You see him as loving. You see him as king. You see him as provider. You see him as sustainer. You see him as healer. You see him as good. You see him as a God who is always able to fight your battles. That's who he is. You get all those benefits because of who you are in Christ. But do you believe it, saints? Do you believe it? Because if none of this stuff is true, I'm just a motivational speaker. That's all I am. If none of this is true, do you believe it? There's a connection between purity in the heart and seeing God. Purity in the heart is also is wholeheartedness. And wholeheartedness, when that is when the Holy Spirit is working that in you, wholeheartedness is changing your irregular heart rhythm so it beats in rhythm with God. Okay? That's what he's doing. He's a, he's, he wants your heart to beat in rhythm with God's heart. That is what he's doing. Because if God has your heart, he has all of you. If he has your heart, guess what? He'll have your money. He'll have your time. He'll have your treasures. If he has your heart first. Because you will freely give it to him. 
Pure in heart is you seeing and resting in God. It's your emotions and who you are being more in alignment with him. It's loving what he loves, loving who he loves, and loving how he loves. Proverbs 3, 4, and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Wholeheartedness is you learning not to be wise in your own eyes. Some of us are too smart for our own good. Because we know some of us know a lot of theology, and we're too smart for our own good. Do not be wise. In your own eyes. You ain't got it all figured out. None of us do. None of us do. A heart growing in wholeness is one that learns to submit to God's lordship and kingship. It's one that is growing to do his will. It's one that's growing to know him, to enjoy him, and to glorify him. This is what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 9. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am Yahweh, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. A heart that's growing in wholeheartedness looks like that. Does your heart look like not like your superhero, not like your sports team, not like your favorite political party, not like your favorite social movement. Does your heart reflect the things of God? Does it? And it would be, and it would go against the status quo. And it will be uncomfortable. You will have to deal with vulnerability. But the Holy Spirit is willing and is able to give you the power, the humility to press through and to press forward. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we, I thank you that you are able to work in, on our behalf. And you are working on our behalf, still interceding for us in glory. And my prayer for us as we go out and engage one more week, I pray that we will go out knowing who we fully are in Christ. I pray that we would go out knowing that God is on our side and that he sees us and he is with us. That He, you are Emmanuel, always with us. So Holy Spirit, continue to move, continue to work, continue to show us, continue to be our provider, our helper, and our counselor. It's in Christ's wonderful name that I pray. Amen.